Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This time, I've chosen an episode entitled Conspiracy from the series Murder by Experts, produced and directed by David Kogan and Robert A. Arthur. Each episode of Murder by Experts featured a mystery that was chosen for adaptation by a noted writer or some other well-known expert on the topic of murder. Or at least that was the conceit. In reality, Kogan and Arthur made an arrangement with Mystery Writers of America to use the names of its members. Murder by Experts ran from 1949 to 1951. From the start of the show's run through March 13, 1950, it was hosted by John Dixon Carr, who was already established as a respected and prolific author. Carr was succeeded as host by Brett Halliday, who was well regarded as an author of detective fiction. For their work on Murder by Experts, Kogan and Arthur earned a prestigious Edgar Award for the best radio drama in 1950. By contrast, their other famous creation, The Mysterious Traveler, is second only to suspense in the number of nominations for Edgar Awards. In 1949, they lost to Inner Sanctum Mystery, and in 1951, they lost to Dragnet. Finally, in 1953, Kogan and Arthur's collective work on The Mysterious Traveler was enough to beat both of the other nominees, which were Kogan for his individual work on The Mysterious Traveler and Arthur for his individual contributions to the same. The author of this episode, Harold Swanton, won his own Edgar Award in 1958 for an episode of the TV series The Alcoa Hour, entitled Mechanical Manhunt. During Swanton's career, he wrote for radio series such as The Adventures of Sam Spade, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, and Suspense. He later wrote for several TV shows, including Wagon Train, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and Buckskin. But today, we are listening to his story, Conspiracy, from Murder by Experts, first broadcast April 24th, 1950. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. by experts. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents Murder by Experts with your host and narrator, the noted mystery writer, Brett Halliday. Mr. Halliday is creator of the world-famous detective character, Michael Shane, author of 25 mystery novels, and whose latest work, This Is It, Michael Shane, has just been published. Good evening. This is Brett Halliday. Each week at this time, Murder by Experts brings you a story of crime and mystery which has been chosen for your approval by one of the world's leading detective story writers. Tonight, our guest expert is the noted mystery novelist Ursula Curtis. 
From the thousands of thrillers she has read and heard, Miss Curtis has selected a fast-moving, intriguing story of a man seeking to use the elements to cover murder, as written by that master of suspense, Harold Swanton. And now we present Lawson Zerby in Conspiracy. So I'm a murderer. So people look at my picture in the papers and point at it and shudder. I wonder how many of them are entitled to do that. I wonder how many of them are murderers, too, in their minds, with only the law between their hands and the throat of someone they hate. You take a city, see? A city full of people, the pious and the profane, the innocent and guilty, with their loves and hates, their pride and avarice and jealousy. And in that city, a pronouncement is made that on this date, between this hour and that one, there is no law, no retribution, that the crime of murder will go unpunished. How many of them would stand still? How many? Would you? It sounds like a philosophical problem, but it happened. The city was Greendale, Oregon. And the thing that set it free from the law for 24 hours was the Columbia River. Oregon Times, Kennecott speaking. Joe, this is Flournoy. Oh, yeah, Chief. Just got a report from the sheriff. It's getting tough out on the 7th Street levee. Yeah, I just heard the news over the radio. If the river busts through, they'll start looking for Greendale somewhere off the coast of Japan. But they got the army out there. I thought they'd take They're losing ground, Joe. Levy might hold another hour, maybe more, but you'll go tonight, and I want you there when it happens. Uh, you're liable to pick me up off the coast of Japan. I'll send the boat after you, sweetheart, but phone that story in first. You know, color stuff. I was there. I saw it happen. Hot coffee, sweating soldiers, man versus nature. Got it? Yeah. Okay, Chief. Great. Now get going. You've got 15 minutes to get there. <laughs> In ten minutes, I was driving through Greendale, a low, flat, flimsy town with nothing between it and the Columbia River but a levee. Flournoy was right. The levee gave way. Greendale would go down the drain like wet cornflakes. I hit 60 on Willamette Avenue, heading toward the 7th Street levee. That's when I passed Marilyn's apartment. And that's what started me thinking again about Marilyn. She was beautiful. She was a two-timer. And she was the one human being on this earth I wanted to kill. I'd promised myself weeks before that I'd get her out of my mind, that hate was no good for anyone, but she kept coming back. That vicious, heartless laugh of hers. The brittle voice. The way her eyes could smile at you while she drove a French heel into your stomach. Joe Kennecott, Oregon Times. Reporter, huh? Okay. How's it look? Well, you can see for yourself. Look at that river boil down there. Yeah. Levees like a hunk of Swiss cheese. Hey, over there, pull the truck around. 
Scene. Men, trucks, equipment fighting the river in the glare of those gas lamps. Heaving sandbags, pouring gravel, trying to save a town they all knew was doomed. My eyes took it all in. My pencil was making notes, but my mind was on Marilyn. Wondering if she was back in that apartment in Greendale, hoping she was asleep. That somehow she'd get washed out to sea with the rest of the rubbish. Then suddenly... Everything stopped still. My pencil stopped writing. My eyes shut out the scene in front of me. It was so simple. I could kill Marilyn. The river would cover for me. That's an order. And you, uh, Kennecott. Yeah, Major. Take your car and beat it down to Greendale. Tell them they've got five minutes to get to high ground. Understand? Yes. They say all murderers are crazy. Maybe they're right. All I know is that I hit 70 on the river road down to Greendale, hoping against hope that Marilyn would still be in that apartment so I could kill her before the flood came. Marilyn! Marilyn! Joe! Joe, what are you... There's a flood on the way, baby. Yeah, it came over the radio. I was just throwing a few things together to take with me. You're wasting your time. What do you mean, Joe? Hey, what are you going to do with that lamp? You aren't going, baby. Now, look, honey, don't be silly. I'm not going to lug that lamp out of here. You aren't going anywhere. No, no, you're not. Joe. Hey, wait a minute. You're crazy. Joe, help! Help! I looked down at her for a minute and set the lamp back on the table. I began to feel dizzy. The floor seemed to be swaying underneath my feet. I wasn't faint. Just uh, dizzy. The door was open. Then I watched it close. Then open again. I, I wasn't dizzy at all. The building was swaying. The flood had come. I ran into the hall. Right smack into a guy. A little pasty-faced uh, guy standing oh, right outside hey, the door. Hey, Look, mister, let me out of no, here. No, you I, don't. You can't stop me. Now, wait a minute. Let go of me, here. Let go. No use yelling for help. Come on. Now, no one's good. Let go of me. Hey. I got ah. him. I got him. I tackled him at the end of the stairs. We went down together to the bottom end over end. I knew he'd seen it. I knew I had to kill him, too. But I was dead right now. The main door was open. Water pouring in. Foot deep in the lobby. Don't. Please don't. Let me go. Too late, Let me pal. go. Let me go. The water. I can't. Don't. Let me go. No, no. Too Let me bad, go. mister. Murder's a solo job. A solo job. Door. Now. Oh. Help. Someone. Help. Help. 
I hit my head on the door. It was all the chance he needed. He scrambled outside into the flood. Took off down the street with me after him. The water was two feet deep now, and the buildings were beginning to move. Help! Help! I was gaining on him. Thirty feet. Twenty. Then... Telephone pole went down between us. I saw the broken wire grazing. There was a crackle of flame, and he went down. So I stopped worrying about him. Started thinking about me. The main force of the flood must have hit at that moment. Suddenly... Everything was water. I was tossed down like a peanut shell in a typhoon. I remember reaching out for something solid, finding it, and then nothing. Just relax now. You're all right. Uh, I... Where am I? In the hospital. What? What happened? <laughs> You're a lucky man. They picked you up right in the middle of it. Had quite a time making you let go of that telephone pole, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the telephone pole. Nothing wrong with you but a few bad bruises and shock. Uh, Doris, uh, give me a hand with this patient, will you? Yes, doctor. Just take it easy now. Everything's all right. Yeah. Everything's all right. I don't know how long I slept. One hour, maybe six, but it was still dark when I suddenly found myself awake in a cold sweat listening. The floor. That's where she was. On the floor. Dead. The flood? Not the flood officer. Murder. It was murder. <gasps> He saw me. He saw me. Fight. Terrible fight. Tried to kill me. Water. Water all over. The flood. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. By now, I knew his voice. They must have picked us up together. Put us in the same hospital room. A thousand crazy thoughts hit me all at once. Kill him right there. Jump out the window. Run. Anything but face it when he woke up. I started to get out of bed and then stop. There was someone else in the room. Uh, what do you make of it, nurse? I don't know, doctor. Well, the man's had a terrible shock, of course. It's amazing he wasn't killed. Yes, I know. He's been going on like that for an hour. The same thing over and over. Murder. Something about the, the flood covering it up. Then a fight. Hmm. Well, maybe you're right. I think we'd better at least pass it on to the police. Uh, still, uh, might be the result of shock, of course. But the fact that he repeats it over and over, detail for detail. With death staring you in the face like that, you don't stop to think about consequences. The explanations could come later. I had to get out of that room right now. I fumbled in the dark for my clothes, threw them on, stepped out into the hall. Uh, Paul Revere, <gasps> where do you think you're going, little man? Oh, Florida, I, I, I get tired of sitting around here. I thought you might need some help. Oh, you thought I might need some help, eh? <laughs> Nurse. Yes, Mr. Flournoy? Your number one patient's about to blow the joint. Oh, what? look, Chief, I... Joe, <laughs> leave it to me, will you? So, you're a hero. So you drive like mad to warn the town and get caught in the flood. 
You don't have to go overboard. Mr. Flournoy's been pacing the hall like an expectant father. Well, uh, 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 thanks, Chief. I am not going to lose my best reporter because he's too dumb to know when he ought to stay in bed. Because that, sweetheart, is just where you're going. Uh, Look, Chief, Hey, don't butt in. You've been through hell tonight. You're lucky you're alive. Now, get in that room and get back to bed. The doctor's ought a hypo to make you sleep. Uh, nurse. Yes, sir. Just to make sure he doesn't get any more wild ideas, give me his clothes. I was licked. And I knew it. They hustled me back to bed. And the nurse poked a needle into my arm. And I let go. I let the dark close in on me. Not caring now. I was tired. So tired. Well, good morning, Mr. Kennicott. Hmm? Oh, (laughs) about time you woke up. It's almost ten o'clock. It's ten. How about some breakfast? Oh no, 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 no breakfast, nurse. I. uh... Oh, looking for your roommate? He's still asleep. We put the screen around his bed to cut down the light a little. Oh, I see. Oh, Mr. I Willis can't. is waking up, too. Uh, I'd better have a look. Oh, wait a minute. Yes? No. No use disturbing, Mr. Willis. Uh, let me get dressed and uh, get out of here first. Only take me a minute. Huh? Well, I'd better get rid of that screen. Yes, Nurse. Mr. Willis. Well, how are you feeling this morning? Better, thanks. I saw her start get for the, the screen. screen out of our way. Turned away just in time. Yeah. My stomach was tied in knots, knowing it could happen any minute I, now. I don't know. Any minute, Mr. Willis would point the I'm finger really at me and say, hungry. "There's the man." Mr. Kennicott. Yeah, yeah. This is Mr. Willis. Oh, uh, hello, Mr. Willis. How do you do? Mr. Willis had a little flood trouble too. Nurse. Those bandages on his head. Here, now, take it easy. Electric shock. He's blind. I know now how that guy in Louisiana felt when they sat him in the electric chair and the switch didn't work. Willis, the guy who saw me standing over Marilyn's body just before the flood hit, was blind from that jolt of electricity he got when the pole fell. I, uh, I took my time now, waiting for the strength to come back to my knees. I dressed carefully and left. Flournoy was waiting for me in the hospital lobby. There was someone with him. This is Lieutenant Belshaw of Homicide, Joe Kennicott. I heard about you, Joe. Nice work. Thanks. Uh, homicide? Yeah, we got a murder on our hands. Or the lieutenant has a murder. We got a story. A great one. What's that? Conspiracy. Huh? Oh, no. Wait a minute, Florida. Oh, no, no. That's right. Conspiracy to commit murder. A partnership. We know who one of the partners is already. Yeah? Who? The Columbia River. The cover-up. Accessory after the fact. I don't get it. Florida is trying to say we picked up a woman's body this morning. Knocked around pretty badly. No identification yet. He thinks she was murdered. I don't. You still think Willis is making it up? The guy took 220 volts with the water up to his knees. His head's still spinning. He's not responsible for what he says. Willis? The little guy up in your room upstairs. Uh, did you hear him say anything in his sleep last night, Joe? No, uh, I, uh, I don't remember much, of course, but... Sure, uh, sure. 
I still don't get it. Well, come on, I'll tell you about it on the way up. We're going to have a little talk with Mr. Willis right now. Please, gentlemen, I can't remember now. I don't know what happened. It's all very confusing. You've got to try, Willis. Now look, Chief, the guy's sick. I he don't know about that. What do you mean, Lieutenant? Willis, you've had a pretty rough ride during the past 18 hours. I know that. I want to make it as easy for you as I can. Well, then please go away, will you? Sure. After you level with us. Ten minutes ago, I was willing to write this thing off as a flood death. Now, I'm not so sure. Listen, Lieutenant, I told you You've got to understand one thing, Willis. If it's murder, one thing can lick us. Time. We've got to move now. So let's go over it again. Pete, say, Flora, you come here. here. Describe the series of facts. The guy's off his base. Can't you see that? I don't think so. Well, all you have to do is look. Sure, he's shaken up, but but there's something else. He's scared. You had a fight with someone. Fell downstairs, almost drowned. I told you I was dreaming. You don't dream the same thing over and over for an hour and 20 minutes without a reason. And we picked a woman's body out of the wreckage this morning. She could have been murdered. She could have lived in that apartment on Willamette Avenue. Who who was she? We don't know. There's nothing to identify her. Now, Willis, I asked for a straight story when I got here. I haven't got it yet. If I don't get it, I might jump to the standard conclusion. What? what, What's that? That you murdered her. But but that's that that, that's not it at all. a man did it. I, I saw him. That's more like it. He, he, he tried to kill me, too. He'll, he'll try again if well, he gets forget a chance. That. Just give us the story. Well, I I ran into the building because I thought I heard someone call for help. A, a woman. The water must have come when I got to the second floor hallway because the building started to sway, sort of, and the doors flew open. I saw him standing there. She was dead on the floor. Yeah? That's when he came after me. Tried to kill me. We, we rolled down the stairs to the bottom and... He hit his head on the door. And you broke loose? Yes. I, I... I don't remember anything after that. That's all, huh? That's enough. Uh... Uh, Mr... Mr. Willis, uh, What did this man look like? Oh, uh... Dark hair. About six feet, I guess. Medium built. About, uh, your size, Joe. Yeah. Do you think you could identify him... I mean, that is, if you could... If, if I could see him, yes, yes, I, I could identify him. Now, please, please let me rest. I'm not sure. feeling very well. Thanks, Willis. That's what we came for. We'll get back to you when you feel better. What about his eyes? Well, the doctor says it's temporary, due to shock. He might get his sight back any time. Any time, huh? Yeah, Well, Joe, how was that for a story? Oh, it's a great one, Chief. It's a great one. I wanted to scream it in his ear right then. Tell him the other half of it. That this was the craziest setup he'd run into if he'd lived a thousand years. Yeah. How's that for a story, Flournoy? 
right here in your office. The guy you're talking to. Good old Joe Kennicott, the boy wonder. There's also the murderer you're looking for. Here's a law-abiding guy. We don't know who he is. Maybe a bookkeeper, maybe a drug clerk, anyone. He owes to the line, cuts his lawn on Sunday, turns his paycheck over to his wife, obeys traffic signals, you know. The flood comes. Willis had Big me. Big cover up. And no I knew law. it. I run out now. He'd add up a second. Something else. So I had no to stop Willis, too, before he opened his eyes. Suddenly breaks and that loose. wasn't exactly cinched. Material witness, probably a cop, watching him every no second, waiting for those Bingo? bandages to come off so he they could him over to police headquarters. So he could put the finger on me. It was 11 that night. Just 23 hours after I killed Marilyn that Flournoy rushed into my office. Joe, get your coat. Huh? We're meeting Bellshaw at the hospital. Mr. Willis just came out of it. He can see. To Flournoy, it was a wild ride through the rain to the hospital. To me, it was a procession. From condemned row to the gas chamber... There was no way out. No way out. Come on, Joe. Lieutenant. Flournoy. Kennicott. He got here in a hurry. Let's go up. You better wait here. They're bringing him down. Gonna take him over to headquarters. Oh, there he comes now. Just got out of the elevator. Uh, Lieutenant, wait a minute before you go. What is it? About this guy, Willis. Lieutenant, there's something I want to tell you. Uh, Oh, Lieutenant. Uh, Kelly. The main levee's starting to go. Hold the parts is ordered there immediately. The main levee? Holy cow, she'll take the whole north end of town. All right, Kelly. Oh, let me go with him. No, I'm at bat this time, kid. I'll go with the Lieutenant. You take care of Mr. Willis. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take care of Mr. Willis. <laughs> I turned the collar of my overcoat up. Kept my face away from him as I bundled him into the car. The back seat, of course. Hoping he wouldn't spot me until I got him away from there. Alone. Just stay on North 2nd Street a ways, Mr... Uh, Kennicott. Yeah, Mr. Kennicott. I guess it's best you take me home. Under the circumstances. You, uh... Live in the North End? Yes. Good. Here's the kind of luck you can have only once. Yeah. A split second before the axe fell. Just as I was about to lay it in the lieutenant's lap, the river saved me. And it would save me again. He lived in the North End, right where the second flood would hit when the main levee went. He wouldn't get away this time because I'd made sure. And no matter what the question was, I had the answer. Willis lived in the North End. I was driving him home. We hit a deserted section, manufacturing district. It was dark, blinding rain. Just right. Then... Stop the car, Mr. Kennicott. Huh? I said stop the car. What's the idea, Willis? What Shut up. Now get out. Hey, look, wait, wait a minute. Did you hear what I said? This is a 38, Kennicott. 
I'll let you have it, so help me. But look, look I... You made a bad mistake, Kennicott. Mistake? That woman they found this morning. They'll never identify her. I made certain of that. She's my dear departed wife. Willis, you... You mean you... You know I killed her, Kennicott. You saw it when the door flew open. Oh, wait! Wait a minute, Willis. Thought it'd make a nice piece of blackmail, didn't you? That's why you didn't identify me. But you made a mistake. I'd never hold still for blackmail. You... You knew I was in the other bed at the hospital. Sure. I faked the blindness. Tried to get something over my face before you woke up. Okay, Kennicott. Now, listen to me, Willis. I didn't see your wife. I didn't know you murdered her. I thought it was you who saw me when... Give me that gun. Give it to me. Let go. Let me go, will you? That's it. I got the gun. You will shoot me, will you? No. No, Kennicott. Don't shoot. Don't shoot, Kennicott. That takes care of you, Willis. something, Flournoy. A lot of us could kill. Something, something like the Columbia River washed the law away. It wasn't such a coincidence after all. Two guys, same town, same apartment house. Two women, they hated enough to kill. I'm... I'm sorry for you, Joe. Skip the sympathy, Chief. I know I'm gonna die. And so the curtain falls on Conspiracy, which was chosen by guest expert Ursula Curtis. Miss Curtis is author of the newly published novel, The Second Sickle. And now, as host and narrator of Murder by Experts, it's my privilege to welcome and introduce to you Mr. Lawrence G. Blockman, Vice President of the Mystery Writers of America, an organization of nearly 300 of America's foremost writers of mystery and detective stories. Mr. Blockman. Thank you, Brett. Each year, the members of the Mystery Writers of America are called upon to vote for what, in their opinion, is the best radio mystery program of the year. To the winning program goes a statuette of Edgar Allan Poe, known as an Edgar, which is to mystery writers what an Oscar is to Hollywood. Five of the foremost radio mystery programs are voted upon by our members. The winner, by an overwhelming majority, was Murder by Experts. It gives me great pleasure, on behalf of the Mystery Writers of America, to present to Robert Arthur and David Cogan, the producer-directors, 
the Edgar Allan Poe Award for the best radio mystery program of 1949. Mr. Cogan? Mr. Blockman, it makes me very happy to receive this tribute from the Mystery Writers of America. On behalf of Mr. Arthur and myself, I want to take this opportunity to thank those who made the winning of this award possible. The writers and actors who lent their talents to this program, our music director, Emerson Buckley, our arranger, Richard DuPage, engineer, Don Williamson, soundman, Walter Shaver, our announcer, Phil Tonkin, and a mutual broadcasting system. And two, I want to thank our many listeners for their thousands of kind letters. Tonight's play, Conspiracy, was written by Harold Swanton. In our cast were Lawson Zerbe, Miriam Wolfe, Ronald Dawson, Frank Behrens, and Robert Donnelly. All characters in our story were fictitious, and any resemblance to the names of actual persons was purely coincidental. Phil Tonkin speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. That was Conspiracy from Murder by Experts here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was your selection, right, Tim? It was, yes. Now, we've done Murder by Experts, please remind me. A couple of them, yes. Uh, Return Trip, which was uh, the escape patients on a bus. That was a long time ago. Yes, and then also I Dreamt I Died was from Murder by Experts as well. They're both very good, both of those. I Dreamt I Died, if I remember right, that is the uh, two-person whodunit. I yeah. have zero recollection of that. <laughs> and now you just ruined it for me. <laughs> uh, so why did you uh, head back to Murder by Experts? What uh, prompted this? Well, I'll tell you the truth. I just love going back to some of the series that we haven't revisited in a while and uh, don't necessarily float to the top of the water when you're thinking, of what exists as a radio series? Uh, so I thought, Murder at Midnight. We haven't done that in a while. So I started Googling murder, and Google suggested murder by experts. And I said, okay, we'll do that one instead. <laughs> uh, and then, I'll buy that, Google. <laughs> yes. uh, and when I started looking, okay, what episodes of this have we done? This is the first thing I grabbed, and as I will tell you more of, I was blown away by this episode, and I loved it to bits, and I'm very excited that that's that Google did this for me. <laughs> right. My entire wardrobe is decided for me <laughs> by algorithms. Wow. You you want this. All right. <laughs> All pants. my decisions come down to just type in a letter and see what it tells me. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad they did. I, I would concur. I really enjoyed this a lot. Again, sometimes there are episodes of old-time radio that I'm lost for the first three minutes and then realize I'm supposed to be lost a little bit. I'm supposed to be coming in in the middle of thoughts and ideas that could explain later. You know, mm-hmm. like it isn't bad setup. And I think that sometimes uh, storytelling can be bad when it's, all right, here's your premise. Like it's spoon fed yeah. to you so that you can settle in and go, okay, now I know what's going on. And this was, what's happening? Where is he going? What? What's? Who are these people? And then as it goes along... He, it becomes just more and more fascinating how it began, how the storytelling begins, and then where we get to, you know, because I'll be honest, the story about a guy covering a levee breaking was more than enough context <laughs> of, uh, of action, excitement, and suspense, right? 
And then, of course, I'm sure you'll all tell me, uh, this was the note I made to myself, was uh, ask Tim and Joshua what the metaphor for the river is. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I'm sure there's some kind of metaphor for clean sweeping. I or... mean, if I've been assigned, like, now tell me what this metaphor is, I could come up with something. But yeah. uh... So there is. Well, I mean, floods in literature, that's pretty heavy with meaning, whether it be judgment from Genesis or... What I immediately thought of. Phil Collins? Yes. <laughs> he was a Take judgy a look at me now. <laughs> You're just an empty space. Um, the Julius Caesar line is mm. what I immediately thought of. Uh, there is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. Because he is like, oh... There's a flood, and I can take advantage of it. I thought for sure that's what they were going for from a nerdy literary point of view. Right. I just thought, hey, flood, that will work. <laughs> it's also terribly exciting. <laughs> right, yes. right. Well, at the very, very outset, um, I thought, this is The Purge. They're going to do an episode of The Purge, <laughs> like decades before The Purge was a thing. Do you know what The Purge is? It's no. a series of films. It's a series of films. Uh, that exists on the pretense that I think it's once a year for one day, 24 hours, everything goes. Like, there's no law. Just do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't work. Uh, It's horrible. (laughs) These are horror films. (laughs) And, you know, I think Tim just touched on what disappoints me about this episode, and it's a compliment at the same time. It opens, and it is just so full of potential and possible ideas and I got ahead of it. Mm. Instead Uh of just being carried away with the flood, (laughs) I thought of things like Tim's saying, The Purge, that this was going to be a little higher concept than it ended up being. And I think what happened is it settled into sort of a really fun inner sanctum style of like, Mm -hmm. how many twists can I pile on in the last 15 minutes of this episode? And I think I would have enjoyed it more if it had opened with some bad puns and I had just settled in and (laughs) went, lay it on me um, and just buckled up. But here I was like, ooh, this is going to say some things. Uh, Or it's going to be, again, something where the entire thing takes place during the flood. My one complaint was... Uh, and it's it is not so much a complaint as a wish. Is I wish this show had like the epic sound engineering abilities of Escape. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! It could have really done some uh, great production value. The the scene of him in the apartment building committing the murder, and then the whole house starts dissolving around him and right. starts moving. That is what convinced me of I love this story. Yeah, I was like, oh, we're going to have this guy fighting this flood for 30 minutes. That's what I The conclusion (laughs) based on nothing that I just jumped to because I wished that was what it was. Because it's so much fun. Yeah. (laughs) Well, my wish was that he was going to go put his finger in the dike and uh, (laughs) uh, stop the levee from. But uh, I think to argue against it directorially and production wise, it's so important that we hear. Everything those two are saying to each other when they run into each other in the dissolving building. Who are they? What's going on? They're two guys that see each other. is so important that if you had too much going on, that would possibly get lost in that much 
water rushing sound yeah, effects. Yeah, doors opening and closing. Yeah, and Timbers yeah. breaking. Yeah. Timber breaking and all of that. I think that there might have been the choice of, let's not hear it so we make sure we hear this. Because it becomes really important yeah. at the end that we remember that scene. Because jumping to the end, I was so lost. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Who is he? Why is he? And then they were talking and finally went, oh, because it's me. He no. killed his wife at the same time he killed his. And I was like, oh, but I was not following what it the hell was a, happening. a beat too. And also like, well, that's what. No, that's exactly what the whole point was, that yeah. this is the perfect cover to murder someone. Why would only one person think of that? It's right. Like murders on a train only. They just were they didn't. doing it separately. <laughs> right, right. Murders across but the I, hall. I didn't, for the longest time in that final scene, I was like, what do you mean he killed her? Yeah. What do you mean he killed her? It took me a long time to figure out, oh, what you're saying is you killed somebody else. And then I realized, oh, that's why... And he doesn't she know was, that uh, right. that guy killed someone. And you're someone. supposed to be in the shoes of our narrator at yeah, that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, Who was probably as confused as you are. Right. Yeah. But then there was some reference to the woman being unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. And that's what propels him to not know that he yeah, did the same thing. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily specify which victim was found. Yep. One of the things that got me stupidly excited about a different plot <laughs> <laughs> was... Starting with his description of Marilyn, it is so hateful. <laughs> it's like that vicious, heartless laugh of hers, that brittle voice, the way her eyes could smile at you as she drove a French heel into your stomach. And so that mm-hmm. sticks with you. Right? That's right. pretty evocative. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he shows up at the apartment and she just greets him with curious surprise. And she's a little urgent because there's a flood and she's packing and she just does not in any way match that description and so i was like "Ooh, are we moving into unreliable narrator Mm. territory and then when the he thinks the other guy witnessed a crime that it was really unclear whether he did or not and he has to kill him and i'm like is this whole plot about him just murdering the entire city during this (laughs) flood because he keeps delusionally thinking that uh, they're on to him and then i realized oh no that wasn't a plot point that was just the guy who wrote it just hates women. <laughs> it's just like, it was just a vicious, mean description. And uh, when we met her, I had the same reaction. Like, she seems pleasant. Uh, I, I was reminded. I wouldn't kill her. <laughs> I was reminded of the old adage of uh, "There's three sides to every story: her side, his side, and the truth." You know, especially in relationships and breakups in that matter. And I'm wondering if that wasn't on purpose. Uh, because they very easily could have made him more uh, likable. I don't know if it's the right term, but we'd be more on his side if she was this terrible human being when we met True, her for those yeah. few minutes. And then we'd be like, yeah, I hope you get away with this murder. But there's something <laughs> about her not being, even though there was a part of me, even though when we met her, there was nothing to dislike about her for those few minutes. As it went along, again, and I don't know why this happens so often with me, but I'm always find myself rooting for people to get away with it. Like, oh, I'm scared it just, for them. It's just well, that's good. our hero, and that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. And even if you don't like the character, obviously, being unlikable as a woman does not mean you should be killed. <laughs> Let's just be no. really clear no, here. No, but I mean... Um, but a good piece of suspense or crime writing against your will forces you into the shoes of someone uh, you 
don't like or don't agree with. And that's what's so exciting about a crime story. So it has that quality of being transgressive, like you slip into this criminal's mind, but you also have that relief knowing that he's going to get caught in the end. And for me, that, that lack of connection between how he describes her and how she is is all part of that whole scene that is building to more and more the foundation you're standing on is falling away from you. That you can't trust anything, not what this guy says, not the floor, not the walls, not the door. Yep. But obviously, a guy whose first thought when he finds out there's a flood that might destroy the city is, hey, I could (laughs) murder my (laughs) ex-girlfriend, is not a stable guy. Yes. I think that it's an exquisite sense of suspense and apprehension uh, that you find yourself really on edge in so many moments. Uh, hey, turn around and meet Mr. Wicketts or whatever his name was. <laughs> what was his name? It doesn't matter. <laughs> He's now Mr. Wicketts. It's also a, it's also the name of Tim's cat. Oh, uh, Mr. Wicketts. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, then he's trying to avoid face contact, and then you're like, oh, no, he's got to turn around and meet him, and oh, he's blind. <laughs> he's got bandages on his face. And I, I love the tension of this and how it's written and done. Yeah, and the setup of I'm going to take this guy back out by the river and kill him and use the river again to cover it up. It totally worked on me of like, what's going to happen against the river? What's going to happen? Oh, he's not getting to the river. Like, I never expected that it was just going to, we're going to pull over and end this story right now. Right. <laughs> the twists are great and they come at a great pace. I have to admit, I felt there was a little bit of a cheat at the end in that the fact that he was committing a murder to just didn't. I'm going to take it back a little. It was set up as in, here's this guy who had the same idea as our narrator. So by our narrator having this idea, it was setting up that other people could. But I felt like there should have been a another clue or another hint that could make you go, aha, and make it feel like it all works as a piece. Whereas it just felt like it was that, like I said, inner sanctum, twist after twist after twist, which I usually love in inner sanctum. But I think... Um, the strength of the earlier half of it activated my brain too much. <laughs> I came to that same crossroads and then let it like, oh, you played fair to my satisfaction. At the very top, you gave this speech about given the opportunity, a lot of people do this, which made me then think that whole town is probably like dozens of murders happening just all over that just got away with it. What if the plot was everybody in a town had the same thought at the same time and they all killed each other and tried to cover it with a flood? <laughs> Biblical. No, you're right. It is set up by uh, would would you murder someone? Uh, and he's obviously talking to his uh, boss, the newspaper chief, but really he's talking <laughs> to you, the listener. He's talking clearly to Mr. Willis. It's Willis. Oh, Willis. What did I say? Wickets? Wickets. <laughs> Close yeah, enough. Yeah, that, actually, that's my, a... my cat is Mr. Willis. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's uncomfortable, but I was fine with Dugan Mr. Willis. <laughs> what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> yeah, that's why I was uncomfortable. Thanks for <laughs> pulling it out. <laughs> now I'm uh, imagining yes, I... Tim acting out episodes of different strokes <laughs> of his cat. <laughs> but I did go that path of like, that doesn't seem Okay. Like, in the moment, I resisted it and then accepted that it it was okay. <laughs> it's okay that multiple people have m- murdered their exes. I will be honest, I almost 
always listen to these episodes twice, and this one I listened to once. And I'm uh, guessing if I had come back around for a second one. That was exactly uh, when I was, okay. Yeah. Shooting off my big mouth, having only listened to the radio show once, like Eric did. <laughs> well, they did not at the end. Like say, I always now do. Now go back to the beginning and listen to this again and think about what we're saying. <laughs> I think I do all right listening to them once. <laughs> you do. It's just the way I process things. But you know how you're always like, ah, I didn't understand that. Probably well, would help with a second listen. <laughs> I don't understand something. I do go back. Okay, mm. good. So when I say in here, I didn't understand what's going on. It wasn't for lack of effort. For example, this one, I went back and listened to that final scene in the car when he pulls over mm -hmm. three times. I also listened to the opening twice because I was distracted the first time. Do you sometimes stop us, rewind us, and listen to us again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've never listened to this podcast. <laughs> I really am fascinated by the idea that Kogan and what's-his-name just picked names off the Mystery Writers of America roster to cycle them through here. Because I, I wonder if there was some approval by the writer, because otherwise they could tune this in and absolutely hate this episode and find their name attached to it. The, the earlier intros of this, I think I, I did just give at face value that they'd pick an, uh, a writer and that writer would choose something. And then I did a little more research this time that indicated that uh, the president of the Mystery Writers Association, if I have that, Mystery Writers of America, yeah. uh, would let them use names of its members. Uh, and this source, which I wish I could remember what the website was, cited that they had little or no input on what episodes were chosen. So they might have had some. I don't think anybody minded. Just having their name set on the radio. Yeah, and they plug their, show, their books. Yeah, their yeah. books. I'd be they, fine with that. Do you think they had meetings? Mystery writers? Mystery writers of America? I want to, yeah. Like, I mean, if you could figure like, out where to meet. Mystery writers of America <laughs> con. <laughs> oh, I also really like how in these uh, era of stories, how cozy the police and journalists are. I mean, the <laughs> newspaper chief and the cop were basically just working together. Like, hey, we're going to go to the river. Hey, you, we injured reporter guy, watch our suspect, Mr. Willis, or our yeah. Um, witness. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that happens frequently in older storytelling of all kinds where the press and the police are very much respectful of each other and help each other out. That also happens in that same era between sports writers and athletes hmm. where they were friends and they hung out together and they would never out them on anything and and there was this understanding and uh, and i i don't know if it's wondering. the era that you're thinking of but i remember how it goes sal and muhammad ali yep yep having a sort of but even further back than yeah. that like babe ruth hmm. and uh, back in those days there was just an understood agreement of how they were going to write things and things that they would ignore and in the same way with this, it, I'm reminded of the relationship between the police and the press that not only comes up in these stories, but I wonder how much of it is actually accurate of the time of how respectful they were of each other's jobs and would help each other be able to do their jobs and then also 
uh, like like I said, like allowing them into crime scenes and mm-hmm. things of that nature. It happens yeah. a lot. I don't know the real social history behind it, but I get the feeling that they had a cozier relationship because they could help each other out mm-hmm. with exchanges of information. Right. Or, or if exactly. you hold on to this information, it'll help me. Or, hey, can you put this in your story? It'll help me. But I think in this genre writing, it's exaggerated purely for mm-hmm. narrative convenience. Right. It just puts all your characters in the same place and gives them the authority, particularly in this story, because it's it's all to facilitate those like five different twists that happen yeah. in 15 minutes. So mm-hmm. by um, just making them buddies, yep. <laughs> it gets you to all the spots you need to be quicker. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? That does not exist anymore. Did you guys notice the one and very rare uh, live line flub in here? But the guy just yes. got totally tongue-tied. He was like, we put... we." Picked a women's a, a, a woman's body oh, yes. out of the wreck. Yep. <laughs> Is it Basil Rathbone? <laughs> <laughs> I am relieved when I hear that. Like, oh, good humans. Yeah, I know. <laughs> They're so good at this, and you know, most of this is one take, if not done live. And. There's and I, so few mistakes yeah, like I've that. Got, we've got to wrap this up in half an hour because I got a place to be. So let's right. go and blah 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 blah. And I Done. think if you're not an actor listening to this, you maybe don't realize what the impressive part of that is that you can flub a line that bad live recording this and then just pull it all together instantly and not screw up again for the rest of the uh, yep. scene or show. It just and They come out of that nosedive so quick. The few times they do make flubs. To correct it on the fly while you're talking is the trick instead of uh, uh, stopping and or saying, sorry, I mean, you know, like there's mm-hmm. all of those things that we do in real life. There is a bar of good save in acting <laughs> when but flubbing lines there's often that flub cascade though yeah above and beyond yep. saving the one line where you mess it up once or twice i mean we've all experienced it in live <laughs> shows it where it's just like head. i can't stop transposing words talking in the sort of performance mode is like tap dancing with your face <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> so that if you you mess up once, like all the movement you have to do with your lips, your jaw, your breathing, but if you lose the rhythm, then yep. you're you are not tap dancing, you're falling down. You're stomping with your face. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you're sitting on your own face. Yes. Huh. <laughs> Bad stuff is happening to your face. <laughs> well, any other thoughts? I think this would be a fun one to put on live i i really like oh yeah this story it's fun and it moves uh-huh well we'll take that as your vote yeah i this is class could be a strong word for this but uh certainly stands the test of time i think it's excellent yeah i i don't think it's a strong word i call this a classic mm-hmm. i thought it was uh riveting and i did not see the end coming and i it was like six cents for me where I had to, six cents, I had to turn someone and say, what's happening? He's dead. Oh, that literally was me in the six cents. I did not. Anyway, point is, is that when I got it, it was really fun. Like, oh, cool. Right. Like good twist. And I didn't know what was happening. I really liked it a lot. Yeah. Like I said, I got caught up in this idea that it was going to be more philosophical, that it was going to explore this idea of what keeps us from being killers. Is it some... Nice weather. (laughs) Nice weather. Is it moral? Is it the threat of punishment? Um, So I became disappointed when it became a twisty crime thriller. But then in this discussion, I realized, what's wrong with a twisty crime thriller? (laughs) Right. Uh, This was another case, too, of like, I was, as we're going through, 
what is the meaning of conspiracy until they called it out of using the river as a conspirator. Yes. Uh, Neat. Neat. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's the great thing with those slightly opaque titles that you get to have that discovery moment in the script, which is nice. Never even thought about it till this very moment. You could have called it Mr. Wickets, and I would have been just fine. <laughs> Tim's cat? What does he have to do with this? Meow! <laughs> so, yeah, I agree. Not a classic, but it definitely stands the test of time. It was never boring. No. Nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. You can uh, tell us what you thought of this. Vote in a poll. Leave a comment. Send us a message. Tap dance with your face. Can you? Um, you can also... Uh, Visit our Threadless store. There's a link there to get there. So if you want to buy some swag, a t-shirt, there's some cool t-shirts. You can also link to our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We really have a lot of fun uh, with our patrons. That sounds weird. (laughs) (laughs) But we do. There are all sorts of ways that uh, we hang out and are very social. So you have that option if you're a a social type of person. We do Zoom happy hours once a month. Uh, I do a Zoom book club. Uh, You also get access to our Discord. um, And that is a really fun group of like-minded old-time radio and morals fans um but the great thing is if you're like oh i hate people and i just want more podcasts uh (laughs) you can get lots of bonus episodes of the mysterious old radio listening society and just sit quietly in your garbage house and listen all alone (laughs) or your very nice well-kept house but if you hate people and you don't want any more podcasts (laughs) (laughs) then don't give us money fine good i don't want to give you any money and if you have been listening regularly you know that we have been asking possibly even begging uh for contributions toward a new computer and we would like to say we have finally uh reach the point where we can acquire a new computer. So we would like to take a moment to thank everybody who made that happen. Um, And if you did contribute and I miss your name here, I apologize. Let me know because I will say your name in a podcast with a big thank you. Um, But among the names that I know that I have here to say thank you to, Bill, Brian, Anne-Marie, Linda, Shane, Mark, DBA, Jeffrey, Micah, Ryan, Roberta, Catherine, Carolyn, Loretta, Lori, Mark, Philip, Julene, Michael, Susan, Emily, Christian, Edmund, Pete, Andrew. Thank you all so, so much. Um, If you find that this is a higher quality podcast from here on out, or from soon from here on out, it is because of those contributions. Thank you all so, so much. Thank you. If you'd like to see us perform live, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theater Company does live performances of uh, recreations of classic old-time radio dramas and a lot of our own original work live on stage. We're performing somewhere every month almost and sometimes more than once a month. Just go to ghoulishdelights.com and or MysteriousOldRadioListeningSociety.com to see where we're performing each month and what we're performing and how to get tickets to come see us. And if you're a Patreon and you can't make it to our live shows, then you don't need to worry because you get to watch them because we film them and that's part of your Patreon package. You get those uh, recordings for free. But you should still come out because most places we perform at have actually great food. <laughs> they really do. That's a weird thing about everywhere we perform. Oh, and they have really good food. So make it a date night. Bring, uh, bring everybody. Uh, what's coming up next? 
Next, we will be listening to an episode of X-1 entitled Mr. Costello, Hero. Until then... Look out! What you talking about, Willis? <laughs>